0: Welcome to Dream Gardens, where we talk up the children's books we love. My name is Jody Lima, and on this twice-monthly podcast, posted on the first and third Monday of each month, I interview other kids' books enthusiasts about their own favorite children's books. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Nicole Magistro. Nicole is the author of the picture book, Reed Island. And we're going to be talking about that book, as well as her work with the Adopt-a-Reader program in Colorado. We're also going to be talking about her favorite book, the YA novel, The Book Thief, by Marcus Zuzak. Now, I do have to point out a couple of things in the interview. Uh, Nicole, at one point, refers to the best friend of the main character in the book Thief as Max, but his name is actually Rudy. However, Nicole shouldn't feel bad about that because a very short while after that, the name of one of the most iconic fictional characters of the 20th century completely slips my mind. So there's that. Now, before we get to any of this, I want to put out another call to the listeners, specifically those who are either librarians or who know a librarian who specializes in kids' books. I did this a couple of podcasts back, and I promise this is the last time I will make this announcement. And what it is is that I want to try out a new segment sometime this year in which I would have a librarian come on with a book recommendation for a kid's book. Now, this could be a picture book, a chapter book, a middle grade novel, or a YA novel, or even a nonfiction book. Now, it's possible that the librarian could have several recommendations, one of each kind of the books I've listed, so one recording session could actually cover several podcasts. All the interviews are done over Zoom, so it doesn't really matter where you are, and it shouldn't take up too much of your time. And it is a way of letting others know what great books are out there for kids and adults alike— if you're interested at all or know someone who might be interested or just want me to explain a little bit more what I've just said and what I have in mind, please go to the contact page on the Dream Gardens website at jlemont.com and send me a note. My guest today is Nicole Magistro. Nicole is the author of the recently released picture book, Read Island. And you can find more information about Nicole and the book at myreadisland.com. Uh, thank you for joining me today, Nicole.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me, Jody.
0: As I mentioned, you have this uh, picture book that you wrote that just uh, came out fairly recently, uh, Read Island. Can you talk a little bit of uh, what this... And I did have the chance to read it, by the way, and enjoyed it very much. Uh, can you talk a little bit uh, about what this book is about?
1: Absolutely. The book is about a girl and her furry friends who go on an adventure and they set sail for a magical island made of books called Reed Island. There they gather with all kinds of friends from the ocean and from the forest for story time. And story time is narrated by the sea wolf. Um, there's lots of opportunities for sound effects in the story. And there is a rhyming scheme um, that really just celebrates. The joy of reading and the adventure that books can take you on.
0: And what was the inspiration for this book? I mean, it's my understanding this is actually uh, based on an actual island.
1: That's right. There is a real Reed Island. It's located in coastal British Columbia. And it's a place that my family has been going to for decades. It's off the grid. You have to really want to get there in order to go. And it is a place that has a wild, Ecosystem and is adjacent to the Great Bear Rainforest, um, which is a very protected and beautiful place in BC. But the inspiration for the book for me came from my past as a bookseller and a lifelong reader and lover of books. When my son was born and when he was young, we would read lots of picture books, and there were some I wanted to throw out the window, and others that we read again and again and again. And I really wanted to share the adventure that I feel like reading is with kids and do it in a way that had a nod to nature, which is the other sort of life force in my life besides books.
0: And so that that experience as a bookseller, um, you know, being around books and, and you know and reading them and I'm recommending them, them to people. I'm just wondering, how did that uh, help sort of inform and sort of shape you as a writer? Just having those years of just being around b- uh, books all the time.
1: Yeah, so many books, right? That's you can just picture them exactly where they are on the shelf. You can walk directly to a book that you feel like is going to be perfect for the customer in front of you. And I loved. And still love that feeling of connecting the right book with the right reader at the right time. And I think that's something that independent booksellers do so well. And it really is an art. Of course, you have to have deep knowledge of books, but it also is about, you know, really being able to go to the shelf and with empathy or with listening, really be able to to find out what someone's looking for. And in the case of Reed Island, I really wanted um, a book that stood out on the shelf and that was a celebration and wasn't necessarily just a book about books that takes place in a library or a bookstore. And so we decided to set this book on the high seas.
0: I'm wondering, it's been out a little while. Anyway, have you gotten some feedback from uh, readers or, or, or other people who've just read the book?
1: Yes, it has been so fun to have the book out in the world and being read by perfect strangers. You know, my friends and family were all very kind in the beginning. And uh, then, you know, as I started to get some more um, typical reviews from Kirkus and Indie Next and others, I started to feel affirmation that it was doing what it was supposed to do. And it was really over the holiday season when I would have random people texting or posting photos of their kids ripping open the books, reading them next to the Christmas tree or snuggled up on a family member's lap reading together. And that just has been awesome. (laughs) A lot of fun sort of, you know, moments of connecting with people from my past, my childhood, high school, um, an old teacher, instructor, writing, writing teacher. All different ways to connect over the book. And uh, so it's been a real joy.
0: Uh, Your illustrator is Alice uh, Fegan. Am I saying that right? (laughs)
1: Of Alice
0: Fagan. Fagan, Fagan, and I'm I'm curious because uh, I know uh, with writers and illustrators, there's all sorts of different uh, collaborative relationships. Sometimes you just you do the text and then the it gets sent out and the illustrator sort of does something on their own and you don't really know what's what going to happen to you see it. And sometimes there's a little bit back and forth. And I'm wondering for this, since it's based on an actual uh, place that you had in mind, along with the text itself, was there anything like that? Was there any sort of back and forth, or was it just Um, here's the text with some suggestion. What what, what was, I guess, what was uh, the relationship with you and your illustrator, if there was one at all?
1: There was a strong relationship and still is with um, my illustrator, Alice Fagan. She is tremendous. And she so happens to live in the same community where I live. I first met her when she released uh, her first book, School Days Around the World. And she walked into the bookstore and said, I illustrated this book, would you carry it? And I took one look at it and said, absolutely. And in the back of my mind, I said, I've got to work with her someday. And we kept in touch and, um, you know, being part of the community that we live and also the, the book community. So I reached out to Alice and said, you know, I really want to work with you on a project and I have this manuscript. Would you take a look at it? After that, we began to collaborate really closely and she developed and personified all these characters, you know, Fox and Humpback Whale and Spirit Bear and Moose. They all have such personality. They all have a love affair with books. So in the illustrations, you'll see them carrying, you know, books everywhere they go, Moose keeps his books up in his antlers, for example. Spirit Bear is, you know, carrying his yoga mat along with his books. And Fox is sort of the leader of the animals and the, the one who's always with the main character, the girl. Again, these are things that Alice dreamed of. And she referenced photos of the real Reed Island to be inspired for the color scheme and the landscape, and also the animals who live there, you know, real photographs, um, And then she did an amazing thing, which just infused the whole book with so much more meaning. And that was she used the text and illustrations and mapping from classic children's stories to build her collage from. So you'll see elements of Anne of Green Gables and The Odyssey and Jack and the Beanstalk, all throughout the book there. In fact, there are 20 classic children's stories kind of hidden within the illustrations.
0: And and that's always fascinating too. I mean, probably most kids are reading it, won't be aware of it. And yet at the same time, it sort of really does make that sort of uh, reference does make a book uh, deeper. And I think kids do get something out of it, even if they don't know exactly, you know, what every reference is.
1: Right. And older kids have come to this book. We've been doing a lot of school presentations. And we found that, you know, your third, fourth, fifth grader, they can either read along with a younger student, or they can read the book with a completely different context. And like you said, reference some of those familiar works. They You should see how they look around and they try to get the hints. Oh, there's Peter Rabbit. Oh, that's Jack and the Beanstalk. And um, we have a word search activity for teachers to kind of help elaborate on that idea, um, and, you know, the, the animals are another sort of touch point for older students who are, might be learning about things like endangered species, common animals, those sorts of things. So there's lots of fun in there for all ages. And again, that was something I really wanted as a bookseller background. You know, I didn't want for kids to just age right out of this book. I wanted for them to be able to come back to it over and over again.
0: I've always been an advocate of picture books are not just for very young kids, but they can be for all sorts of ages and adults. Even Uh, you can get a lot out of a picture book, uh, surprising things.
1: Oh, yes. You know, you're totally right, Jody. I think that older kids, you know, they might not want to be seen reading picture books like my son, who's 10. but we have a large case of them in our powder room and he seems to always find one while he needs to take a break. So, you know, those are the kinds of things that, um, they give back even when you think that they've been forgotten. Um, and you know, some of my favorite picture books are books about books. Um, a few recent ones that have come out that I've absolutely enjoyed. Um, Moose's Book Bus by Inga Moore. I just absolutely adore her. And there's a really creative one by Beatrice Blue called Once Upon a Dragon's Fire, um, which is a book about books also. Those are pretty close to my heart.
0: Is there a part of uh, Reed Island that you'd like to share with us today?
1: Sure. Maybe just the opening um, couple of pages. There is a place beneath the stars that welcomes friends from near and far just after dawn. The sun peeks through. The mighty sea makes way for you. Past rocky cliffs and cozy nooks, you'll find an island made of books. A sea wolf howls. Her lilting cry is like a soothing lullaby. Every creature knows that sound. They know it's safe to come around. And then all of the characters begin to arrive on the island for story time. There are over a dozen animals featured in the book, and um, the rhyme scheme is meant to both familiarize the language and also introduce some new vocabulary for littles, which, again, just something uh, that I always had personal preference for when I was reading aloud to my son.
0: I I don't think people often appreciate just how much, you know, a picture book often looks very effortless, you know, because the language, uh, you know, for younger children is simple, but it actually takes a lot of effort to look effortless. (laughs) (laughs)
1: that's right. I think my editors would agree. We went through 14 hard versions of the text before we were ready to give it over to Alice.
0: (laughs) Now I understand that you've also been working and doing a partnership with something called adopt a reader. Um, Could you talk a little bit about, well, what that program is and then what's your, how you've been working with that program as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Adopt a reader is a program that I started uh, when I owned the bookworm of Edwards in located near Vail, Colorado, where I live. And it really was born out of a customer suggestion. We had a subscription program for grandparents to, you know, give children's books every month to their grandkids. And I had a beloved customer who said to me, well, I don't have any grandchildren, but I still want to give a book every month. Can you find someone? And Of course, the answer was yes, and a light bulb went off. Uh, That was 10 years ago. Um, And we began to partner with nonprofit organizations in the community to anonymously match readers um, and customers of the bookstore with kids in the community who did not have home libraries. Because we know the research that if kids have access to physical books of their own in the home, that literacy rates go up. So we began to partner with groups from the literacy organization to Early Head Start, and it has grown and blossomed into an amazing program with now more than 300 children in our very small community receiving books every single month from the generosity of our customers. And we also have inspired others around the country to have create similar programs. And Reed Island is really kind of in a unique place because we were able to partner as the publisher with the bookstore to make sure that over the holiday season, every child received this book, which is a hardcover, jacketed picture book. And sometimes out of the reach of the donors, but through a partnership, we were able to make that all work. And so I'm really happy with that, but also, and probably more importantly, the legacy and the growing nature of this program, Um, because, you know, customers of independent bookstores care so deeply about their communities and to be able to do something with that care and really literally build volumes and shelves and shelves full of books in kids' homes is invaluable. So uh, it's been an amazing program and and one that I'm happy to partnership, you know, now on, on the publishing side.
0: That sounds like a terrific program. Uh, do you know um, offhand that if somebody wanted to get more information about this to, to learn more about it and maybe see if that's something they might want to... Um, and take on themselves where they might go or maybe even just search for informer information? Yeah,
1: if they just searched for um, Adopt-A-Reader, Vail, Colorado, they would probably land right on the very correct page to sign up. And if they searched Adopt-A-Reader, an independent bookstore, they might find a program in their own community. And, you know, again, their independent bookstores popping up everywhere. There's a tremendous resurgence of stores and so... Uh, more and more are contributing to their communities in this way.
0: Yes, and books are still out there and people are still reading.
1: Oh, 100%. <laughs> and,
0: and speaking of which, uh, uh, one book that you picked as one of your own particular uh, favorite books uh, for, this is actually a YA novel, is The Book Thief by Marcus Zusak, and I'm probably saying that wrong. Um, This was published in 2005, and um, I I had a chance to reread it, actually, when uh, I heard about your suggestion. For those who haven't had a chance to read uh, this book, uh, can you talk a little bit of what this book is about?
1: Yeah, The Book Thief is one of my top five favorites of all time. And I consider that in a mix of primarily adult books. Um, and I have recommended this book wholeheartedly to adults and uh, sophisticated teen readers for almost 20 years now. It's kind of crazy. Um, it's a book that takes place in Germany during the rise of Hitler. And it is about a young girl, Liesel Meiminger, whose parents give her up Uh, to foster parents who raise her in an environment where they are um, nurturing and protective and also are harboring a Jewish man in their cellar. The book Thief title comes from the fact that Liesl sort of uses books as a coping mechanism anytime things get pretty bad, a book goes missing. And um, I love this book for many reasons, but one of the reasons that I love it is because it is narrated by death. And it is such a unique narrator that's both, uh, you know, full of uh, foreshadowing quips and all kinds of metaphors, but also because it really brings the reader so close to the experience of children uh, in World War II. And books, are, of course, are at the center of this novel. Um, There, you know, Liesl does not know how to read at the beginning of the book. And her her foster father teaches her how to read. There's amazing quotes, lots of symbolism. um, And, you know, fun fact, I thought if I ever have a daughter, I'm going to name her Liesl. This is how much the book affected me. She's just um, like a lot of people think of Scout in To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, This is how much I I revere Liesl Miminger. And you know I love books about books, um, but this is the one that stands out most to me.
0: It is interesting. You said the the, the narrator is is death, which is unusual. But uh, as you read on, um, it it's it's not just a device. Or, um, you know, just something to catch your attention, but uh, it's a a real character, actually, in the book, you know, character uh, with a point of view uh, about um, uh, people and uh, and life and death, of course. And so and and just wondering what the the value of, you know, it wouldn't have worked probably having just sort of a regular sort of just a third person narrator, I would think.
1: That's right. And Marcus Zusick talks a lot about that um, in interviews about this book. You know, the other thing is that death, like you mentioned, is personified in a very relatable way. And during this more difficult period of, you know, humanity, the last two years, there's a lot of relevance in that, in both the humor and the grief of death, it's himself or itself. And, you know, I think that, again, I love to be, I love books about books. I love to be surprised by that. That have the references and the the relatability of characters who just blossom, and yet that that kind of setting is very familiar. You know, World War II. You can think of of tons of books, um, and so why would this one be any different? But it's a real standout. and And I have teenage nieces who are tremendous readers. They this is one of their favorite books. And again, I I would recommend this to adults all day every day. Um, and one of the be- the benefits of recommending YA books to adults is they're affordable.
0: <laughs> as you mentioned, too, uh, Liesl's the main character, you know, and she, you know, somebody we sort of uh, spend several years with, actually, um, as the... As the book uh, progresses. And you talked a little bit about this, but I'm wondering what is it about Liesl that just, um, you you sort of made that comparison with uh, Scout and To Kill a Mockingbird. What is it about her that just makes her such a compelling character that we want to spend time and want to find out what's going to happen next with her?
1: Well, she's very vulnerable. In the early pages of the book, you learn that her younger brother has died. You, of course, learn this from death. Um, And this haunts Liesl. Of course, she's been separated from her parents, and now um, she's lost her youngest brother. So I think the vulnerability is definitely one of the things that sort of stands out to me. Um, You know, she's, she's kind of funny. I mean, she does some things that sort of Uh, she stands up for herself in, in uh, 1940s appropriate way. Um, And she is, she's sort of uh, quietly cocky, if you will, uh, which I don't mind in a, in a narrator. I think that's, that's one of the elements. And then the other is her empathy. Her empathy grows and changes over the course of the book. And I think that by the end of the book, You know, she has learned a lot more about the world and, of course, herself. And so I love, I love that to see that kind of growth and and change in a character. I can kind of think about, you know, who she would have become.
0: And apart from uh, Liesel, I mean, this book is so many other characters. And I think of, uh, well, of course, the narrator, and then there's Rudy and Hans Huberman and Rosa and Max Vandenberg and, and a bunch of others. I'm wondering, apart from Liesel, did you have a particular uh, favorite character that you just enjoyed uh, reading about?
1: Well, Max is Liesel's best friend slash partner in crime. He lends some levity to uh, part of the book. And quite a lot of gravity to part of the book, so I'd say he's probably my second favorite character. How about you?
0: I'm kind of fascinated by Hans. You know, he's just this this enigmatic, uh, you know, very good man. Although he does some things that even even he realizes <laughs> later, say, "Why did I do that?" You know, he has this very uh, this this code he lives by, um, and it's it, it's just sort of, but he's sort of almost. Um, at the same time, he sort of stands back a little bit, except for those moments when he stands out. So he's just a fascinating character uh, to me. And actually, I yeah, think about the um, To Kill a Mockingbird. You know, I can see the parallels uh, between him and um, oh no, I've forgotten his name. Um, uh, and To Kill a Mockingbird, the lawyer. I can't. I don't know Atticus, Atticus Finch. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's it. I can see the parallels between him and Atticus Finch too.
1: Absolutely. You know, and and books about books, um, books when they're about physical books, as Reed Island is, and as The Book Thief is, they they remind you of other books without hitting you over the head, at least the good ones. Um, You know, I can think of a few recents that I've read also like Cloud Cuckoo Land and the book of Form and Emptiness. Shadow of the Wind is one of those, you know, it just, when they pull out, other books um, into your mind while you're reading, it's, it's kind of an ethereal um, experience. So that the physical act of reading becomes, you, you embody it in a different way. You look over on your shelf and think, oh, what else? What else is in here? You know, these writers are so clever. And um, Marcus Zusek takes a long time to write a book. He did for the Book Thief, as well as quite some time for Bridge of Clay, um, his more recent novel and i I appreciate that
0: i'm thinking too yeah and, and i mean there's a lot to this book i mean there's this over this arc of a story that goes throughout the novel but there's also all these little little individual uh small scenes with with the characters uh giving us a little glimpse into their lives um like um you know they you know, the little escapades where they go and try to steal uh, things from a farm, you know, and getting into trouble. Uh, So there's like little, little moments like that. I was wondering if there was a particular, like smaller scene that uh, kind of uh, stood out to you or a favorite one like that.
1: Well, I, I love the scene where, and, and I might get it slightly wrong here, but you know, where they, they're constantly sneaking in to um, to a library And and it's known that they're sneaking into the library, right? So, um, with, and and Max has to tumble out of the window. Um, You know, it's like this is exactly what kids do, right? They think that nobody knows, and they they make the biggest scene and the and the most. So it's very human, right? Um, And very real for for children. Um, And we can see we can see our own kids, or we can see kids we know doing such silly yet meaningful things in that, you know, later um, come to light. They're sort of representative. Uh, so that's probably one of my favorites.
0: It, it's, it's just interesting just how the author, he, he really does... Take time to build up this this, and apparently this is a, a, a you know a community a made up town, but he really takes the time to introduce us to this. You basically you, you know the town and you know all the different kinds of people uh, that live in it. You know, and there are all these different moments. Some are ridiculous, some are tragic. And he, like you said, it took time to really build this whole world. So it isn't just, you know, a a story about a character and this happens and this happens, but he really does take the time to really tell, you know, you feel like you've lived in this community, I think, after you read the
1: book. Well, and, you know, Marcus Zusick talks a lot about his parents as storytellers, that you know, he originally wanted to write a book about his mother's experience as a German girl growing up in World War II. And he he credits the ways in which his parents released certain stories at certain points in his life for dramatic uh, emphasis, right, as lessons. Um, and he learned his storytelling skills from them. But when he came to write a novel, he thought he was just going to write like a straightforward book. And then this, you know, sharing the narration or sharing the page with death um, and sort of the action of the book um, took time to percolate. There's a great um, section of, at the end of the book now after all these years that um, it's kind of like bonus material in a movie or whatever outtakes and there's just it, I'd love to read just a little um, paragraph from the introduction because it really kind of paints that picture I think. Oh, absolutely. These are Marcus Sussex's words about the book, of course. From the simplest point of view, I started writing The Book Thief in the Australian winter of 2001 and finished it almost exactly three years later in August 2004. I still remember staying up all night to get it done, and I realized that's always the best time to finish a book. The sun is yet to come up. It seems the whole world is asleep, And there you are on your own with the pages set before you. For a writer, there's no other place you'd rather be because you know how hard it is to get there and you might never get there the same way again. And I think, you know, that really just kind of speaks to the process that many of us go through. Certainly for this book, you know, you live with the content of a book for a lifetime in some cases before it's ready to be told. And so I, I admire that and, and certainly relate to, to being able to tell stories when the time is right.
0: Oh, yes. You know, it, it does, does sometimes. I mean, even before you get to writing on the page, you're sort of thinking about it and uh, working it out. And, and of course, once you start doing the writing, you know, it changes and then you make new discoveries. And uh, and so it's always a constant process. And, and of course, the big question is, how do you know when you're done? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yes, that's right. Um, You know, I think having others look at your work, certainly in the case of a, a, you know, short picture book, uh, just 280 words, I felt never ready to take it to my editor at first, and then sort of like never ready to be done with it. But it was the editor who said, No, we're done now. And I think that is hopefully the case for many writers who find a, a, a good match in their editor and who those editors make the stories better we can't do it on our own as writers that's for sure
0: i'm just wondering too this you know this is you know a book set in a particular time in, in the past and especially for young readers who are, this is like ancient history you know world war 2 something like that why is it so important to still have books uh, like this that don't just teach us, you know, that this thing happened once upon a time, but to actually, you know, give relatable characters um, who we can experience their lives about this particular time in history?
1: Well, you know, I mean, this book still contains all the things that teenagers love to read about. I mean, I'll give an example from when I, from my youth, which is completely embarrassing, but you know, I loved to read Mysteries, Christopher Pike, murder mysteries, there was a romantic interest, to R. L. Stein, there was fear, you know. Um there though all of those elements exist in this book and books like it. I mean, there is, you know, a wondering about romance. There is love. There is grief. There is change. There's fear. And I think that teenagers, uh, young readers, and adults, we come back to those universal truths and those, you know, kind of omnipresent feelings all the time. And in some cases, especially for me, reading about a different time period can be an escape, even if the time period was quite grim, um, as was obviously during World War II. So... I think there's so much in there for kids and, and lots of grownups too. Well, Nicole, uh,
0: thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today, uh, both about uh, Read Island and, and the collaboration you had with your illustrator and talking to uh, me about uh, the Adopt a Reader pr- program uh, and, and letting people know how they get involved. And of course, uh, talking to me about The Book Thief, which I had a chance to read one more time.
1: Well, thank you for having me. It's such an interesting conversation. I always love to talk about books.
0: You can find more information about Nicole Magistro at myreadisland.com. Thank you for joining me on Dream Gardens. The theme music titled All Together is provided courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can visit them at www.purpleplanet.com. Podcast cover art was created through Canva, which can be found at www.canva.com. You can find the Dream Gardens podcast website at jliemott.com and my author website at jliemott.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Dream Gardens JLM. The Dream Gardens podcast is available through iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please comment, share, or subscribe. And until next time, keep dreaming, Keep growing and keep reading.